welcome once again to another episode of Southern Beef Podcast, uh, episode number 80, which is pretty amazing. So I have none of our regular co-hosts here tonight. He says, so his ex is on vacation and Jamie is, uh, well, she's AWOL. She gets really busy and I think they have some, some family issues going on right now. Nothing bad far as husband and wife goes but some other family issues that are never easy to deal with but tonight this is gonna be a good show anyway i made a free-for-all episode i put the word out to some folks and with you tonight for the cinema psyop show is mr court psyops how you doing sir i am doing excellent man i'm all amped up and ready to go with our little like uh potluck episode here <laughs> it should be pretty fun Ah, and also with me from the Evil Episodes show and the Theme Warriors podcast. You get real excited there for a second. <laughs> Mr. Mike Berryman, how are you, sir? Doing great. It's Friday. Another end to the work week. Dinner's cooked. The wife and the kids are on the other side of the house. So uh, you got me all to yourselves, guys. Beautiful. I'll start the show the same way I started any other show. And I'll ask one of you guys, you being court first, what have you been, have you been watching lately? I've just got my hands on the... The Ash versus Evil Dead Blu-rays. So I've been kind of devouring that. I also uh, just recently got my hands on the Strain Season 2 Blu-rays too. And I went through that like crazy. Uh, a lot of TV stuff. Uh, obviously the stuff that we've been watching for this podcast and then my podcast, you know, just revisited Maniac for our show. And that film, the original Maniac from 1980, is every bit as effective to me today as it was when I first watched it years ago. Great. Um, Mike? Uh, the last thing I saw in the theater was Rob Zombie's 31, what, last week for that Fathom events thing. Um, what was that again? I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second. Uh, Rob Zombie's 31. I saw oh, I gotcha. What was it, a week ago now, maybe a week and a half? Um, a lot of TV stuff, obviously, because Evil Episodes is mostly TV horror, so, uh, the strains back fear the walking dead's back z nation just started american horror story just started uh scream queens just started exorcist on fox is tonight probably recording inside the house right now so i haven't watched that yet but i will be um tales from the dark side we're doing a retrospective we're almost finally freaking done with it we're we're on season four about the middle of it and as fun as it's been we're like excited to be wrapping it up because we just had so little time to do the extra stuff on the show because there's so much stuff on tv that it's like we want to move on to something else but we want to like complete whatever retrospective we're doing first so there's that um the movies for this for those that don't know we kind of put this together what yesterday was it that we kind of something like that yeah yeah we had, yeah we had 24 hours to watch each of the movies that we gave to each other it was like a extreme podcasting experiment yeah and i had it was early enough yesterday that i was like okay i'll watch two movies today which being yesterday and then one at work because I can it's kind of loose at my work where you know you can stream something as long as you're working and I ended up getting the sidetrack last night and I watched all fucking three of them <laughs> today <laughs> at work but I was getting my work done so they don't really care so yeah um so all those three and then we're putting together our next episode for theme warriors at the moment which uh for those that are familiar with the show coming up is the theme of that one's going to be uh movies uh where they were released after um one of the actors or actresses in the movie died so um spoiler my pick is uh poltergeist 3 so um that's mine i don't even know everyone else's pick so you'll just have to wait for the show poltergeist 3 didn't just have actors die but they also had careers die right after that too yeah yeah there's a lot uh that went downhill <laughs> um i think that pretty much wraps up I, it's, it's a whole blender of stuff that i'm i'm kind of watching so uh, 
I think that covers it pretty well, though. Uh, me, myself, I've, I've also been watching The Strain. I, I ran through the first two seasons, and I'm on to the third season now, which is interesting. They're bringing some weird stuff in where they, they get faster and they can do more shit like you, you want in a show like that. And uh, what else? Hey, let me ask you, since since it's so rare that I'm used to like uh, being like the only person that watches horror TV or at least is like somewhat caught up on it. So since you guys both watch The Strain, and this is actually a little bit back on the show, it changed a little while ago. But weren't you so damn happy when they changed the design of the master? Because didn't he look like a goddamn Muppet? at the very beginning like yes head and like that was my only like when it first the show first came out my only real complaint was like man the master kind of looks a little goofy and i don't know if i'll just so many people said that because they almost immediately changed it like after he appeared on the show a couple times so oh my, my biggest my biggest bitch about it was that you know yeah guillermo del toro had a hand in it but he also he also made blade 2 and these creatures seem like they just borrowed him from blade 2 yeah and then now you got this daywalker person who's kicking ass. God bless him. No, I love this guy. But, you know, it just seems like very Blade centric. And Guillermo had his hand in the show. And he's thinking, I'm thinking I thought that the whole time, but not in a terrible, bad way, though. I was that actually night. kind of curious that uh, what time frame the books of the strain that he was working on with Chuck Hogan and when did Blade 2 come out? And was he just trying to work out some story ideas, you know, through Blade 2 that was probably just a project that he did for, you know, the money and to kind of, you know, mess with the technology or whatever. And I wonder if he just kind of perfected it with the story and uh, the strain. Uh, possibly. I, I, I like strain waiver. I like Blade 2. So. Oh, I don't disagree. I think you, you get the, the, the lore of those creatures and you're learning more and more about them. And I thought that was a. Uh, it's done really well, especially in the first season where Guillermo had a big active part in the show, like a more active than he is right now, I'm sure. But, you know, and he really set up that, that universe very well with that first season. Yeah. And then the way they open the second season with that little fairy tale that's being told, like that draws you right back in. And the, mm-hmm. the thing from the second season that really drove me like around the bend, like super like fanboy crazy was when they had the little Santo segment where the guy's watching the VHS tape in the basement yes, and yes, fast forwarding through cool. it. Yeah. And then when that character is an older guy starts wearing his Santo mask while he's doing uh, the battling and, and using those uh, brass knuckle cross things again, like when he had the Santo mask on during one of the confrontations, like I punched the air and was like yelling, fuck yeah, at the top of my lungs. And my wife's like, all right, fanboy, settle down. <laughs> I was like, no, it's a Santo mask guy fighting vampires. It's Lucha. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, some some folks wouldn't get that reference, but yeah, I, I really dug it. Oh yeah, it was a total like uh, you. It was a total love song to like Santo and uh, Meal Mascaras and uh, Blue Demon and all that stuff. The way that they set that up, it's it's like there was a Bob's Burgers episode where um, basically did a tribute to Lone Wolf and Cub in an episode mm. where I forget what they were called. It was called, but the daughter and the the father were estranged. They were like a father and daughter team in the in the episode, but it was totally baby cart the movies. So you could tell. If you were a fan of Lone Wolf and Cub, that's what they were going for. You got real happy. That's pretty awesome. I was never really a fan of Bob's Burgers, but uh, I got some respect for the people that created if they did something like that. It was a whole episode dedicated to it. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty badass, actually. They just went up in my estimation a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, what, what else did I watch? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say the only th- other thing I have to say about the strain is I hope the kid dies a horrible death. Yes, he's terrible. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's worse than fucking What's-His-Face on The Walking Dead, Carl. 
the Carl. Oh, Carl, Carl. Coral, yeah. Coral. Coral. It's your life, Coral. What are you doing, Coral? I apologize to any Southern listeners for my horrible accent. And they even changed the actor, I think, from season one to two who plays the kid. And it's like, no, the character itself. Uh, I think Andrew Lincoln should apologize for his shitty Southern accent to all the English people. You know, (laughs) I just think Andrew Lincoln should apologize for everything having to do with that show. I'm not a fan. Oh my god! But yeah, what what I watched um, and I forget the the, the get the names mixed up with this movie. But I watched I think it's Mike and Dave need wedding dates because of uh, I have a slight obsession with Anna Kendrick. It's it's pretty much you know I'm devoted because I've it's seen her, both. Of, it's her and Aubrey Plaza in that, right? Yeah, they're both in that movie. I, I've seen both of those Pitch Perfect films probably multiple times. I don't know, I don't know why, but you know. But um, you ever yeah, seen one, uh, Rapture Palooza that had Anna Kendrick in it? I want to. I haven't watched it though. I dug it. There was some pretty funny stuff. It it pretty much makes fun of all of the stuff that has to do with a biblical rapture and just mm-hmm. kind of shows how like insane the ideas sound that something like this would happen. And it's it's pretty funny. It's got that guy that played Sweets on uh, Bones as well as like Anna Kendrick's boyfriend or whatever. And uh, it's not bad. It's got its moments. It's actually pretty funny. Gotcha. If you yeah, like this one's got a, yes, this one's got Adam from uh, Workaholics in it and Zach Efron. They're the titular characters of that movie. Yeah. And they, they work well together. I mean, I've never been, I've never hated on Zach Efron, but I've never watched High School Musical. But anything he's done besides High School Musical, I have enjoyed. He is, he is a much better Link than the original Lincoln in that, that film. And I, I'll say that all day long, but uh, he's so dreamy. No, I'm playing. But uh, <laughs> no, it was it was pretty funny as far as those like romantic where you got like some dirty stuff in there, but not a lot of dirty stuff for woo girls, you know, party girls, you might basically, wanna... like, basically party girls who scream a lot, you know, and get drunk. Oh. Yeah, the, these girls, uh, for some reason, they, they need dates because they always ruin events. So the the, the uh, the parents required them to have dates to come to this, this the, the sister's wedding, and they get together with these two drunk girls who actually pretend they're nice to go on this vacation with them. And first, all hell breaks loose as far as the wedding goes and comedy, whatever. Yeah, it, it's it's watchable. It's about a seven out of ten. So there you go. Um, how does it compare to Dirty Grandpa? I like Dirty Grandpa. It, 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 it does have a filthy Robert De Niro in it, so it's kind of hard to say how to compare it to Dirty Grandpa, but. You know. Yeah. Um. What else did I watch? There was there was some other stuff too, and I always forget this too. We we got deep into the strain there. Oh, I, I watched Eddie the Eagle um, again because I like those type of movies with Hugh Jackman teaching the British boy how to ski jump, and uh, that's 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 enjoyable. And um, if you I say if you like Cool Runnings, you'll like that film. Hmm. Cause this is that kind of like, you know, underdog going for the, for the, for the Olympics kind of thing. And, um, and the films for the show, um, I watched not, Westworld. Westworld. Uh, the movie. Yeah. And to prepare, cause like since the HBO series is starting, I think October 2nd it is. So I was like, man, I need to go watch the original first. And I, I, I liked it. Was that it was your first time ever- watching it? Yeah, it was. Oh, wow. I had always kind of, it's one of those movies where like, I had always kind of known it existed. I knew what it was about. It was always interesting. And I, I never got around to it. And then I started seeing promos for the HBO series. And I was like, you know, if, if I don't watch it before the show comes out, it's going to ruin, it might ruin something for me. So I'm going to go make an effort to watch it. And I sat down and watched it. And I was like, oh, this is pretty damn awesome. 
I haven't seen. Uh, wasn't there a sequel, Future World? Yeah, Future World is decent. Is it okay? Yeah, I have it's, it on kind of my list to watch too. It's kind of hokey in parts, but then again, so is Westworld. So right, right. It's a it's a slight point of diminishing returns. It's it's slightly less. It's not horrible, but it's okay. Still greatly enjoyable though. Yeah, well, any movie with robots going amok, you know. Especially when they're humanoid, I'm going to dig it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, a reference to this film, but the film we're going to cover later anyway. I watched Rollerball for no good reason, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> it's Rollerball and I love it. You know, it's kind of one of my, my favorite closing shots in any movie is in Rollerball. Just like that faded out James Conn face like, yeah, fuck you, corporate America, you know. And that's what you that's what you want in a sports ball type movie. James Khan, last bloody man standing, putting a metal ball in a hole and saying, Fuck you, corporate world, you know? <laughs> oh man, rollerball. I haven't seen the original rollerball in years. I need to go back and visit it. I used to fucking love that when I was a kid. Well, the problem with rollerball is that that part where they're having their rich person's party kind of takes you out of it, where they're shooting trees with the ray gun and shit. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that's, I guess, if I had any weakness of rollerball, it would be that. And then a lot of him time, spoilers, spending time with a, a comatose moon pie, who's, who's his main guy, main partner, uh, that, that, that kind of takes you out a little too, but you understand because that was his friend. And I don't know why. Yeah, whatever. It's rollerball, and I don't care. It's, it's, it's good stuff. But uh, that's about done for uh, what we've been watching. I'll move it in now to our beefs of the week. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think the best way I heard Thirty One described, and I can't remember who said it. I wish I did because I'd like to give him credit. And it, was, it had to have been a podcast I just recently listened to. But watching Thirty One, it feels like you're watching a first draft of a movie before it goes in and gets edited, and they figure out what to fix. It's like it's just a bunch of ideas vomited onto the screen, like a rough cut and, almost. Exactly, and it's just like no, that <laughs> that's not the way you make a movie. And it's not to say you know there's some interest and cool things that happen throughout the movie. Um, some sequences are all right, but it's just not that good of a movie. And the fact that so many people got duped into doing the event things like I did, you know, I was really 50-50 because I was like, do I really want to do this? And I was like, eh, you know, what else am I going to be doing on a Wednesday or Thursday night? And it's at the theater that's like you block from my house. So I went um, and I, I don't know if the call dropped before I mentioned it, but uh, Fear the Walking Dead is starting to lose me a little. Just, uh, it feels like they're you know, it, I can't say that it's 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 not a difficult task to do, but it feels like they're trying to hit too many of the same notes of The Walking Dead, but the characters are less interesting to me. Um, that, that's that's the problem. Put the name on that show, much like Rob Zombie, like Court was saying. You know, they put him up, they put him on a pedestal, saying this is going to be successful, and you don't have to feed into it. I mean, I I, I know, you know, that I, I I'm people who know people, and that, that, that sounds really fucking elitist of me, but a friend of mine you know, knows most of those core actors that are in those zombie, Rob Zombie films, and he didn't even ask Bill Mosley to be in that film, and it pissed Bill off to no extent. Maybe to one of those things where you don't know what side you're your bread is buttered on because he really oh, and he didn't ask him to be in the movie no, in, in he, could have done a, he could have done a great job being that main clown killer guy i mean that was clearly written for a bill mosley i mean you know oh, the dude. yeah not that the, not that the actor from the clips i've seen so far what's that luke uh what's that guy's name I can't, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but that, I guess it's the character's name is Doomhead, but that, yeah, main, yeah. that main lean cloud 
lead clown guy, that guy did an excellent job from what I've seen of the clips. And he's a good actor. I just, the way that the, the soliloquies, the, oh man. And that's really a lot of the pretentious stuff is this nonstop expositional dialogue of, you know, like that, that Rob puts in his films, like right before a kill happens, there's always these great dramatic, like psychopathic speeches and you know, what I've seen of it, the guy delivers a great, great job, but you can clearly tell that, you know, he's, he's kind of recycling his character because that's, you know, Otis Firefly right there is basically what he's doing. That's what I was saying in the discussion. It feels like a part that was written for Bill Mosley and for whatever reason, Bill Mosley wasn't in it. So he's like, all right, I got to find the next best guy that can do it. Uh, And the guy didn't do a bad job, but the whole time you're just thinking like, man, this is kind of is like Otis to me. And there's so many other characters in there that feel like, they are different versions of the Fireflies. And I'm just like, come on, Rob, like you can't write different characters. And Sid Haig straight up turned them down. This is all inside information, guys. And I apologize if this pisses off any people who work for SAG or fucking go blow each other. I don't give a fuck what it is. But Sid Haig straight up turned them down because told him, you know, and, and I paraphrase, of course, that he didn't want to remake Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a third time. Right. <laughs> and this is this is what he, my, 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 my friend's words to, to, to his mouth and he said, you know, this is people he has dinner with like whenever they come to town and they, they they tell him these things about how fucking shitty Sherry is as a person and Sid hates working with Sherry. And when I saw her in the first frame of that film, I knew it was doomed. I knew it was doomed right from the start because yeah. she, she is like a fucking cancer on a film. And I'll say it again, you know, yeah, there, there's some issues with the writing of her character, her like the way her, she changes tone. Like it, it, a lot of nonsensical stuff. And I mean, if, I don't know if you guys are betting men, but uh, I think you might want to lay down some money on which character makes it to the end. <laughs> the one that's banging the director, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, you win the prize. <laughs> spoiler alert. Although I don't think it's that big of a spoiler. No, you know? I mean, who else is going to survive but, you know, it's his wife. And he puts her in everything. And she's not a good actress. She's not. Yeah, and it seems like the further into his career he gets, he thinks he has his capital to be like, not only is she going to be in the movie now, but she's going to be the main attraction. Yeah, I don't think she could have carried Lords of Salem. Like, it just seems like he almost took a step back with the way that that film was put together although it's the best looking of all of his films that i've seen i haven't seen 31 so i can't state exactly how it looks other than some of the stills and you know various clips i might have seen but while it's his best looking film it's also like his most incoherent and you know like he makes he does like that movie dj thing and i I stole that from uh chris uh from outside the cinema that's what he refers to quentin tarantino as as a movie dj where he just kind of mixes together a bunch of other elements from people and makes his own work (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. that's that's basically what he's what he's doing and i mean yeah Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you can see that, like, for instance, you, you can kind of pick out the various elements and it's what, like, Sid Haig has said, he doesn't want to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the third time. Allegedly, that way we're completely covered, legally speaking. Uh, Allegedly, yes, indeed. But uh, if that's the case, you know, I can I can totally see where he's coming from because those elements are worn very much on their sleeve. It's not like a an influence thing and it's not just like a referential thing. It's it almost feels like take this it's like a cut and paste snippet of just make your movie this way. And it that's I think that's why his stuff feels a lot of uneven for me basically. Yeah. Um and I I've heard the the, the comparison to Tarantino because I've actually loosely thought of that too and I my main difference I would say is like Tarantino he tends to take movies that I think the general public would might not be interested 
interested in or not want to yes. scout, and he figures out how to take elements of those and then kind of just make call, them. Just, just call movie. him a just call him a plagiarist, like I do. I mean, I mean, I, I I love I love his work, you know, but I don't I don't need two and a half hours of the hateful eight of him being the shit of Jennifer uh, Kurt Russell being the fuck out of Jennifer Jason Lee, yeah. and you know here here's what could have happened, here's here's what happened, and here's oh wait a second, her brother's gonna show up. I don't need all that, and you know I think him, you know, he's bigger than Rob Zombie, obviously, so the illusion is bigger. That him and Mr. Zombie are two of the biggest plagiarists in Hollywood, and people need to recognize that. Better recognize. <laughs> Better recognize, man. I'm from the six zero four one nine. Better recognize. Check yourself, too, man. <laughs> Getting all fucking gangster on us, Gary. Oh, I try, man. I try. <laughs> oh, my God. Court, do you have a beef of the week? Um, fuck, man. You know, uh, I was uh, I was sick the first part of this week. And I got to say, uh, the human condition is my biggest beef. Because just when you start hitting your stride with life and you got, you know, the, the perfect work-life balance, you get knocked down a peg every time, like what happened with me this week. And just being a human being and having to deal with being vulnerable and, and weak whenever you don't want to be like you, you got so much going on and you get a fucking illness, knock you down and take you out for four days. Although the silver lining to that, though, that particular beef is I had a lot more time to just sit around and revisit some old flicks. That's good. Um, my beef of the week <laughs> is BMB Alec, who you guys might know as Amy Farrah Fowler from the Big Bang Theory or as Blossom as I grew up for her to be, you know, but uh, she's, she's fond of making these videos and she's made one recently was basically talking about geek shaming and how, you know, it's how geek is chic now. And she's talking about that. And that's what this TV show tells you, but then she's talking about all of a sudden she starts with this diatribe about her geek street bread and how it took her so long to get here and this to the other. And I'm, I'm watching this video. I'm just, just telling her just shut the fuck up for for somebody myself who's been a nerd let's face it 90 percent of my life I've, I've like stupid shit that you know this is why the internet is so powerful now but when i was like 12 it wasn't so so powerful but i've been tripped i've been pushed downstairs because of my kingdom but i'm not gonna sit here and cry about it and make a fucking internet video because i'm an i'm an actress on a television show and say you know what i got geek street cred and let me make this four minute video to tell you why and why what 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 um D D version you think is the best and yeah yada 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 no it's not necessary if anything make a video to to build the young people up and say look because don't get me wrong me and bialik she she was an actress first but then she went on to like mit i think and she's very and she, she's like a neurosurgeon or something she's a very intelligent person just an actress so i'll give her credit where credit's due but don't sit there and preach to me about how tough it is to be a geek when a show you you, you help fuel is for the people that, that they geek and chic and yada yada yada. No, just no. You either be proud of it and embrace it, or you can go fuck yourself, me and Bialik, because I, I get tired of hearing, you know, stuff like that, like, oh, this, that, the other, but now I'm bigger than life. No, you're not bigger than life. You're just an actress like the rest of them. Yeah, and I, yeah, I feel the whole who, geek chic now. Who happens like, to be very I, intelligent, like I said before, though. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I feel that diatribe is like maybe a decade or so too late. Because I remember back then when I was like in my maybe mid-20s, early 20s, like people were saying that back then. So it's like now we're 10, 15 years later. It's like eh, it's, it's a little late for it to, to come out and claim 
that geek is she? Honestly, really, I think I think the internet it was really the big biggest game changer because I think what in in at least my experience and seeing younger people, it really stopped a lot of the clickiness you had. Because I remember when I was growing up, like junior high, high school, maybe even little a couple years after high school, because internet was around but it wasn't big. You really had like the, the groups of people you hang hung out with for the most part really were based on like what you what kind of entertainment you liked and stuff. But then when it came around and the internet blew up and everyone just had such easy access to everything, it, it seemed like there was almost like a mini revolution as far as entertainment goes, where a lot of people just started liking everything. It, it, it stopped becoming about like, oh, you can only like this and or you're not hanging out with these people. It, it just so much access uh, happened and it just became like everyone just likes what they like and that, that's it. But the, I mean, we're talking like, you know, 15, 10 years ago. So it just feels like a little... Uh, late to the game there, Mion. <laughs> What do you think, Court? You know, I got an issue with the Big Bang Theory just as is. It started out where they actually had them be flushed as characters. And then it's lately just turned into all the dialogue has been. And it's been this way for like the last few years that since I quit watching it. I, I don't, can't even remember the last time I watched it. But it was pretty much reference, 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 reference. And then everybody laughs at the fact that they're making all these geeky references that they normally might not understand or that they've heard them talk about before, so they're rehashing it again. And it is mainstream now, and there is a bonus to the fact that if geek is chic or whatever, I mean, who cares who wants to talk about a terminology? Let's focus in on what's important. Um, it's easier for kids to grow up and be outcasts and be different because the internet has connected us all, and people get exposed a lot quicker to things they normally wouldn't see mm -hmm. because they're all connected now. And it's... It's gotten better, but in the same time, these people that want to be disconnected and want to be hateful, they're also out there too, and you have to filter them out. And sometimes with, uh, as far as me, the celebrity things, sometimes people just believe their own hype and they just kind of go off. And then she's also a human being, so maybe she really was pissed and maybe she should have not posted it or whatever, or maybe it's something she's super passionate about and we just didn't dig it. You know, <laughs> I don't know how else to look at it, really. No, I, I, I just didn't really dig what she was laying down, like like you said. And it, and it didn't upset me, but I, I, I had to vent. And, you know, what what better what better portion of the show yeah, it's to, called for me to bitch for a reason, right? <laughs> yeah, for, for me to bitch about being, not like I hear on the screen and say, you know what, bitch? I think you're really fucking stupid saying all that stuff. No, I wouldn't do that because I'm not a rude person. And I, I really enjoy, I watched a lot of Blossom back in the day. I'm not even. I'm not even joking. It, it was a show of the time, and I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, but she just going on about that stuff. I mean, even now, like you said, the first couple of years of the show, it, it was kind of cute to hear all those references. I mean, I, I've I've watched stuff. Just here's an example, like American Beauty, when uh, when Lester and the the the, the weird kid from next door are talking about getting high, talking about stuff. I watched Reanimator straight on the that throwaway scene where they're talking about Reanimator. I watched the film. Just, just based on that. Wouldn't you know it? It's one of my favorite films now. So if you could learn stuff from like throwaway stuff like that, which they did on the early seasons of Big Bang Theory, you know, more power to you. Yeah, enjoying stuff. As far as the internet goes, though, if it, I'm, I'm releasing this tonight, by the way, while we're as we're 
can afford this recording this now. But uh, me and Graham had a whole uh, whole talk about how the metalhead culture in the 80s, how it would have been different if in the age of the internet. If they had the internet the way we do now in the 80s, what would metalhead culture be like then? You know, it would have been way, way different. It would have been way out the chain. You would have had a whole community of people where you thought you were like this lost, cool person. But you discovered that there was more and more people that were like you. And that's truly where true geekdom blossomed. Yeah, you find but, your uh, you find your tribe. You find your place that you fit in. And with the internet, you can find that so much easier. That's one of the things that I love about being a podcaster is we just the community of being like, you know, of podcasting, the people that take the time to record the shows and literally they're doing it on whatever spare money they can put it together and however much they can spend to make it as best as they can. And they put it out for free and they put it out there for just somebody else's entertainment. And when somebody else does the same thing, like what we all do, we all do that. I'm assuming we all put our stuff out there for free. And when we put it out there, we're, we're sharing a bit of ourselves to the world. And as soon as we find other people that are just like us, we all gravitate towards each other and we have a community like that. And we've, I know when I got started, I just reached out to everybody. And that's something I learned from you, Gary, was, you know, you just got to communicate and support each other. And I mean, you kind of showed me a, a good portion of community that way. When uh, we, you, know, you first reached out to me like right away and, uh, you know, since doing that with uh, all of the other podcasters, you do have that. And that's the way it is, uh, you know, punk rockers. Uh, that's I grew up in the middle of nowhere and there were like maybe five kids in the entire county, you know, that like punk rock. And we may or may not have liked each other, but we all liked the same music and we gravitated towards that, you know, and just uh, hung on that way. And eventually we made it work out and we had a community. So it's it's just that it's bigger now because you can connect with anybody all over the world, which is amazing. I remember going to metal shows in as a teenager, like death metal, black metal, grind shows. And I'd show up there and be like, where the hell are all these people come from? Because uh, I never see these people outside of attending shows. But, you know, now with the Internet, yeah, you're going to have communities and people connecting in, in mass. So yeah, it, it is definitely different now. And it's better. It's better because we can grow and we can like find people that are worth our time instead of being saddled with people that may not get us, you know, whoever you are. I'm not talking about just podcasters or geeks or, you know, like whatever clicks would have happened. There's ways of transcending that just based on, you know, it's whatever you're into. There's going to be a group of people out there that will yeah. chat with you in some way, shape or form. And you have that support that you may not have had. Like if podcasting existed for me when I was in high school, I would have probably made more of myself just from being able to communicate with other people that thought like me and realizing that, you know, where I was trapped at that time at like 15 and 16, it feels like you're never getting out at that age. And when you've got this kind of support that we got now and that you have with the internet that's out there, you can find that support and you have something to look forward to. You know, you can communicate with people. And I don't think we really realize how connected we really are. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And I also think another good thing about it, going back to what I said earlier, is it it's it's also giving kind of like uh, a peek into your subculture for everyone else too, and uh, it, because everything is so readily available that like you don't have to be like you know when I was when I was growing up. It was before you could go buy like metal CDs online. You have to go to the local record store that actually carried them. You know, it was a lot hard. You had to be like a hardcore fan to find like extreme metal around um, maybe Tower Records or Dimple Records. Um, Did you ever have those lists where you would have mailing lists that you could join from the backs of like metal magazines or whatever? And 
you would tape trade. Yeah. 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 That's you um, do it with videos, you do it with music and stuff like that. And that was like the way that you did it before you could just go on the internet and find everything you need and have it shipped to your house, which is such a, also just an incredible thing, man. Like just thinking, and, about, thinking back of how like trying to find something in a video store that I wanted to watch and hoping that it would be there and then maybe being able to dub it later. And now I can spend X amount of dollars and watch it once online if I can find it somewhere or even for free, if I have one of those streaming services and it's on, it's just so much easier and nicer to be alive now. <laughs> and it's great. Well, yeah. And I think with, with so much upload on YouTube, like and the, one of the, the funnest things about YouTube to me is all the un, unintentional things you end up finding by just going down the rabbit hole of suggested videos and like three or four videos into it, you could be in a totally different place and context of what you were originally looking for. But sometimes you discover shit that like you never intended to look up or listen to. And I think that's one aspect that you get now that that's really cool about being connected to everything at all times that you didn't have before, where you had formed kind of like your group, your faction, your tribe back then. But now you still have that, but you also have a lot of uh, just casual fans of everything coming through that. Like, hey, I accidentally came across it. Like, I'll see comments on YouTube all the time. Like, I normally don't listen to this music, but this song is like really good. And then they go from there. How often would have that happened when I was in high school? Probably not because no one would have, no one that wasn't a regular or hardcore fan of that type of music would have ever just accidentally stumbled across something. So I think that's another great aspect of the times we're living in now too. Yeah, it's like instant word of mouth feedback on something. You can find anybody's opinion about anything, even when you're not looking for it. Like even if you come across something by accident yourself, you can look at what other people have had to say and kind of get recommendations. Whereas before, you know, you'd have a buddy find something or you would find something and tell your buddies, you know, and now it's the entire world. If you give yeah, yourself a yeah. chance, once it gets uploaded, it's there, <laughs> it's, it's out there. So it's going to be seen by people that, that want to see it and people that are going to come by it on accident and most of those people are going to hate it but there's going to be that small portion that see it for the first time and never thought they would like it but they end up liking it and they kind of go from there and it, it's just cool well in like even if you're someone who creates content besides being a podcaster like let's say you're let's say you're an amateur musician don't really play out or whatever but you write songs and you want to record some stuff you lay some stuff down on a computer nowadays you can upload it to like a band camp you can let people like listen to it for free or buy it or whatever and you just can put yourself out there if you just give it a chance and it's so much easier you don't have to like be mailing out fucking demo tapes that you recorded on a four track recorder that maybe somebody stole from a dude across the street and i'm being autobiographical there <laughs> oh i remember having to hit the play and record button to record songs off the radio <laughs> sounds so old right now guys i just want to point that out <laughs> yeah i I'm sure people are like, what the hell is he talking? Yeah, but I'll take it. Down. I'll take it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, but my whole entire point is I'm just happy that I survived those times. And like, I love the continuous improvements in life that we get. That's the thing that yeah. you got to take away from this whole thing. Yeah. And now, especially now, because I have a I have a daughter who's about to turn five and one that's just over a year. And like sometimes I just like watch them play and I'm like, holy shit, what is the Internet and all this stuff going to be like when they're like in their teenage years and early 20s? I'm like considering how blown away I was like over the last, you know, 10, 15 years of where technology has gone. I'm like, what's it going to be like for them? Because they have grown up where uh, there is no such thing as not having the Internet. So um, we, we already got VR machines to help you masturbate. That's 
that's where technology ends, right? It right. Yeah. Ends uh, right there. Or? That and frozen pizza, and we're good. Oh yeah, <laughs> the rehydration. Oh, I need that house. <laughs> It'll save so much space. You know, oh, yeah. I, I would I would take a a car that uh, runs on whatever fuel and spits out like water vapor that's like healthy and sterile. <laughs> you know, I would take that. You know, just make the make the environment slightly better. Let's focus on that now that we're all connected. Let's keep ourselves alive as long as possible. Yeah. yeah so, so so me in short well, in long form you're a bit too late and yeah that's the three i was telling you that yeah i guess that was uh that was like the long-winded version <laughs> i don't know i yeah. thought it was all good stuff i'm happy with it <laughs> I, I i ain't bad at all though no. but um tonight we're here for, for, for recording a show where I, I i put it to these guys to give us a film any film a real free-for-all if you will to recommend to us that we should watch and review. And um, we did that. We watched the films. And I think we're going to go with Mike first. His pick, because this is a brand new film. Yeah. So if we don't get too, too crazy, spoiler heavy, it's kind of hard not to for this film. So if you haven't seen this film yet, and you want to watch it, go watch it first. It's uh, The Good Neighbor from 2016, starring Mr. James Kahn. And we will discuss that right after the trailer. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Exhibit C. The living room cam, the camera that ultimately captured the tragedy of the so-called haunting project. What ended up happening after the camera was turned off? And there he goes. Okay, let's do this. The theory, with the proper execution, it is possible to drive an unsuspecting person into believing that they are truly being haunted. The subject, Harold Graney, the creepy psycho hermit that lives across the street. We route all of this together into... Mission Control. <laughs> we are going to be so famous after this. And wakey, wakey. Knock, knock. Wait, where is he going? Whoa, whoa. You got a noise complaint? You mind if I come in? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. No matter what we do to this guy, he never does anything about it. We're convinced that our haunts in Grady's basement are somehow related. Do you actually think that he's a murderer? Get out of here. Shut up! Keep that on a leash. I'm going to cut him in four pieces and send him home in his can. There's something going on in that basement. No way, dude. If you don't record this, I'm going to come back here and kill you myself. Can you hear me? Oh, God. Run, 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 run. Is he looking at us? He knows! Be careful how far we push this guy. This is sick! We're not going in the basement. You're obsessed! It's just a prank. Experiment. 
uh, The Good Neighbor from 2016. Uh, stars James Conn, like I mentioned, as in he's much older now, obviously. And some young people who are dicks. And some people you may know, like Mindy Sterling's in there. And they say Dean Cameron's in there, but I didn't see him. I'm sure I just missed him, you know. But um, basically, the plot synopsis of this film is... Uh, I guess they're privileged white or, or suburban type kids want to fuck with their neighbor by putting tech at his house to make him think that his house is haunted just to fuck with him. And then they slowly break him down by every at every, at every turn as, as far as their antics go. And they go a little too far and uh, it turns out real bad for one of them because they're real smug for the other. But we'll get into that. But uh, Mike, tell us why you made us watch this film. What do you think about it, sir? <laughs> Um, so it's interesting because a couple weeks ago I saw Don't Breathe when that came out and you know how Hollywood is now. Like if, if, if a one movie comes out and it's successful, they're going to trend on different things. So I can't really say they made this because of that, because it's out so close afterwards that I'm sure it was being made around the same time. But, um, it kind of, I was like, let me find another movie. If there's a new movie coming out with like a crotchety old neighbor, um, for those that are familiar, don't breathe roughly. So you, you know what I mean? Um, so I was looking on YouTube and I, I, I was actually watching the don't breathe trailer after I saw the movie, because I wanted to see if, uh, you know, they gave away too much in the trailer. I kind of, sometimes I do that after the movie and then a suggested trailer on the right was the good neighbor. What is this? And I was like, Oh, another horror movie, somewhat horror movie with, uh, an old neighbor that uh, it looks like it's going to center around him. So I thought it was interesting and I was like, I'm going to watch this. And I kind of put it on the back burner and then you ended up hitting me up yesterday. And I was like, Hey, uh, maybe this is my excuse to watch it. So um, that's kind of why I chose it. Uh, one of the, uh, kids in this i guess they pro- they're playing high school kids you might people might recognize him he was in it it follows he was uh one of the group of friends the one that uh he's kind of like the dorkier one that you could tell he wants to get with the main chick but she doesn't until they you know the end um i don't want to get too much away about that movie either in case people haven't seen it but you'll you'll recognize his face if you want, i think i think he was also in united states of terror i think he was tara's son oh okay yeah. that might help people know who you're talking about as all. Well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, I thought uh, James Conn was James Conn. Damn, he's old. He's a lot older, less mobile. <laughs> he does a lot of sitting and staring <laughs> and laying down and sleeping. When I first movie. when I first saw this, I actually, um, the first time he pops up on screen when I was watching it last night, I was like, damn, that old dude looks a lot like James Conn. I wonder <laughs> if he's his grandpa. And then I stopped and looked it up on IMDb and I'm like, holy fuck, James fucking Conn is old. Yeah. He looks um, like a decrepit old grandpa now. He looks like he's falling apart. Yeah, he, he does. And I don't know if part of it was because of the character itself. So he was amping that up or if that's just James Conn now, because <laughs> I can't remember like the next most recent thing he did. I can't put like a, put a uh, an eye to it. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, you know, overall, yeah. Oh, well, go I was going to say, I was going to say, let's hope for his sake um, that he is amping it up and he's not that old and decrepit because he looked like he was in pain, like physical pain the entire time during this movie. And let's hope that that's not real just for his sake and his health. <laughs> I, I, I think that, that, you know, when you get the reveal at the end and it all comes out in the wash that you, you find out why he's the way he was. And, yeah. you know, yeah, that, 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 that helped things when you got the reveal in the end, in my opinion, as yeah. far as, wow, he looks really run down. Like, well, I would run down too if I was going through all this shit, you yeah. know? 
I think a, a, a good word for it is revealed because it's not a twist. What it is, is you get subtle clues and a setup on what's coming ahead. Like, and it's actually a decent setup for storytelling. You know, they don't really telegraph everything, but at the same time, they start making you like a classic misdirection almost like while you're trying to inspect and find out what's this all about and what's going on with this old man. And these freaking douchebag kids are surveilling him and they're using the most like pretentious self-important over descriptive excuses that sounds a whole lot like uh like a like i'm an artiste and you know i'm i'm creating art uh on film here or on video by doing this experiment and i'm also being scientific because it's based on this study where people were told that they would have their life messed with in a certain way and they want to make this guy believe that he's actually being haunted and they get a whole hell of a lot more than what they were really bargaining for on how they convinced him and what what ended up being the repercussions because they're cocky little shits that never even second guess what could possibly be happening although the dorkier kid does have his reservations as soon as this makes them like the hot ticket cool kids around their core group and girls start taking interest in him then he goes full force let's go for it and he also becomes a voyeur too and that's the the main character guy that we follow the main douchey teen he's totally a voyeur he wants to spy on everybody all the time and watch what they're doing Billy Baldwin from a what sliver in training? <laughs> yeah, mini B- Billy Baldwin with a much better tech guy. This this other kid was like fucking micro from the Punisher comics. The <laughs> stuff he could put together. I mean, was this for like a psychology project or something? What they were doing with this this guy? Because it seemed like a real dire situation. No, it was that they did. it was the main character wanted to be a filmmaker and he wanted to make a splash and make a sensation and he this was his ticket to either being a million view youtube fame or whatever particular thing he thought he was going to get out of this that's what he ended up doing and that's that's why he was doing it so it's not even a noble reason like it's not even a study for a college that's sanctioned that gets out of hand it's just two douchebags fucking with some guy because they can which is pretty he had, soulless. He has some kind of personal grudge with, with uh, the old well, man, too, didn't he? He had ulterior motives that we don't know about at the beginning, and it kind of slowly works up towards why he's so persistent. Because when the other friend is kind of like, maybe we should back off or stop now, and the, the main guy is so insistent that they keep going. So it's um, because, yeah, with, with the movie, there's sequences of the aftermath why, when they're on trial for the aftermath of what all went down and uh that's where we kind of learn you know why the other guy was really pushy about it yeah i'm sorry i was gonna say can i ask you guys um the format of the film the way that they actually like the structure the way it's cut together now not the actual storytelling like the story part but the way that the film is structured where it cuts back and forth between sort of the events as they're happening in the film for the story and then the aftermath trial thing where they're going back and forth. Did that feel like how they constructed the uh, exorcism of Emily Rose, the way that that yeah, went that, back and forth? Yeah, that's what I was feeling. I was feeling that, you know, as far as like the, but not as, as in your face as like the law and order mixed with the exorcist stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It was more fairly balanced because it was a crime drama the entire time. And I almost think the film would work better actually as an episode of that type of crime drama TV, like a high tech version of it. Or it almost feels like a pilot for that kind of a series, like of how these these kids get caught or there's something similar to that. You know, it doesn't Uh, it doesn't feel like a full fledged like feature film to me. But I think that, you know, that the the little stuff that you got was just enough to when you got that reveal, you just seen how 
how how heinous the, what these kids did really was and did detrimental to yeah. to this person doing what he did at the end of the film. I mean, I, I thought the whole reveal in like the last, what, 15, 20 minutes was yeah. a strength movie because leading up to that, I was like, ah, this is okay. But I thought it was going to go, if you guys remember that movie, Disturbia. Yeah. I, I totally like for three quarters of this movie, I thought that's where it was going. I was like, come on, are we really... Yeah, it's it's Disturbia didn't come out that long ago. Because the way they set it up was, you know, that this was that this this neighbor who supposedly was was mean to his wife, and that oh she might, he might have her body in the basement. He, this guy spends a lot of time in his basement, and that's weird. And then you know that it all goes back to you know you know you know what I heard about this neighbor, you heard about that neighbor, and that that word of mouth, you know, I think is what fueled. They're, they're let's pick on the old guy because he's a curmudgeon and he stays at his house all the time. That was their outward excuse. But I mean, do we want to kind of get into the revenge sort of aspect of this? No, I think we should leave that for the people that actually want to watch yeah, the movie. That's a, okay. Um, okay. I just, the other thing that I wanted to kind of mention about what works and doesn't work in the film for me, uh, particularly, um, I felt that the initial like setup of the kids putting the cameras in ran for a pretty long time with the beginning yes. of the film. And what they were trying to do is a uh, get to know your voyeur spy kids, you know, as they're doing their thing and kind of showing you the fun aspect of what these kids are having is what they're doing. Cause they're, they're, they're doing it for a thrill more than anything you can tell, even mm-hmm. though they're making up other excuses. And I think there is a point of escalation with what they're doing from that point forward. But that, uh, that initial part ran a little bit long, but then it immediately redeemed itself itself for me because it goes right into a trial right from that point and before that it just felt like you were going to get this normal let's follow these douchebag kids and then it has like you know this you see the aftermath and the what happens because of the choices these kids made you know immediately with the trial stuff but they don't tell you what they're on trial for you just assume well they at least put cameras in this guy's house so it makes sense and then they slowly build up through the trial they give you exposition by making them testify which is a tried and true storytelling thing that goes back to like the sixties with film, you know, and it's, it's structured really, really well. And I think this is a first film, is it not? But this director's first film. Yeah. Oh, I I have no idea. I didn't go that far into the research. Yeah. Well, it, it really feels like, okay, if it is, this feels like a budding filmmaker, like kind of feeling out their expression and how they want to do a film and coming real close to nailing it almost on all levels, but just not quite there, but you see a lot of promise in the way it's put together. You see a definitive talent that's, you know, emerging that you might want to keep an eye on, whether or not the well, film itself works for you. Well, I think what Mike was saying about the, the greatest strength of the film is, is Khan's performance towards towards the back half. You know, when you, when you get the reveal of what, why he is the way he is, and that that's there, and that's the thing. And you're like, wow, these, these kids are fucking monsters. Because the, 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 the whole the whole time, the, the whole first 50 minutes of the film, he, he looks he looks guilty. He looks he looks like he's coming in out of their house when they they set the when when they set the magnets up to make his screen door clack back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he just gets so upset, so mad that he he destroys it with an axe. And you see that big reveal like, yeah, this is what he's capable of. But you're not sure what's going on? Because when, the, you know, there's a spot when the police come in, of course, and they find nothing in the basement and except for this axe, you know, which, which is prominently shown. That's the first thing you see when he goes down to the basement is this, this glowing axe. 
she has to assume that, that James Conn is up to no good and that these kids were correct. But when the kids are not correct, you see you learn who the true monsters are, which are these bastard kids that are fucked with this old man. Yeah, it really works on your perceptions of people by what you get to see whenever your neighbor is outside of your house and how you perceive them on how they behave. And it shows how judgmental people can be of each other. It does that really well. Yeah. And I, I think the movie does a good job of like giving you just enough where you're you're trying to piece together for yourself what what is going on in that house, but it's it's simultaneously giving you hints but also leaving it open ended enough to where um before you before we get to like the that real last part, like maybe the last five minutes, you're like, Okay, it's gonna be this, this or this and then it ends up being this other thing and you're like, oh shit. And I, I actually, you know, the fact that I brought it up, I've seen the after Don't Breathe, I almost think it would make like a good double feature because there's there's similarities, but there's also some stark differences in the characters and how it ends up. And it's like an example of like how to do the old crotchety neighbor movie in two completely different ways. And it's um, also just, got that rear window effect with the crotchety old neighbor and, you know, what are they doing over there? Like the burbs almost kind of thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that's about all we should really say about a brand new film that you guys should, I think you guys should check it out. Um, I'll leave it to you. Uh, Court, what is your rating on the film, sir? Like I said uh, earlier, just kind of a final thought before I, I give the number. I think this film definitely shows promise for this director. If it is a first-time film or like, like, like say, an earlier film or what have you, you definitely see an emerging talent here. And also, even if it's a few films in, like you see some potential here and you wonder what this person could do next because they have some good, solid ideas, even if you may not have fully liked the execution. So I'm going to give it a seven. I'm going to say it's above average, but it's not quite knock me out awesome, but few things really are. And I think seven is more than solid enough for a film to make it enjoyable and recommend. Great. Uh, this is Mike's film. I love Michael last. Me, me, me myself. Um, yeah, right there with the seven. Uh, I, 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 I love to say that certain audiences that, that may listen to this show may, may be bored by like let, let, let's let's just see something happen. But let's get this stuff straight right now. This this is not a horror film. This is more like a study of of of, of human what what human emotions truly are. And I think that you should think of it that way from our review and go into the film thinking that way. That don't don't think of it. Oh, somebody's gonna get hacked up the bits. No, don't don't think of it that way. Just watch watch the characters and how they develop and the the the, the, the deterioration of this old man. And I think you'll you'll enjoy the film a lot better if you're not looking for a horror film. Uh, Mike, um, I I gotta say I agree with you guys with the rating as a seven. Um, I think there's there's definitely ways I think that they could have moved you know the first half along maybe at a different pace but once you hit that back half and especially the back third when um things start to move towards a conclusion and the reveal and the fact that they really they really keep that the the reveal um tightly under wrap i don't think you know and i'm sure there's like extreme plot movie movie plot detectives out there are gonna be like, oh i knew it from the start but um I, I really think they did a good job of um making making plausible uh explanation or plausible possibilities for where the movie could be going and when it when it finally the curtains drawn back and you see where it did go, you're going to say, Hey, you know, I haven't seen a lot of movies like recently that have gone in that direction. 
and um, I think it makes it a better movie because of that. So I'm right there with you guys as far as a seven goes. All right, cool. Guess we'll uh, move on next to to Court's pick, which is a total change of pace from this movie, being blood sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm sorry, right. guys. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we'll get it right into that after this. I'm just an average man with an average life. I work from nine to five. Hey, hell, I pay the price. Oh, 
killer Mister, you got a quarter? is on the loose. Hey, if you don't have a quarter, that's okay too, man. And these two cops are on the case. Detectives, who happen to be the largest cops on the force? Look behind you towards that corner. Don't be obvious. But when the bad guys turn out to be bad girls, and the killer starts working overtime, can these cops save Pittsburgh before it's too late? Shut up! It's only Sweeney's wife. You'll get a blast out of this hilarious horror spoof. This one's a blockbuster. Two thumbs up. Blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh. Now on video cassette from Paramount. Uh, blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh or from Pittsburgh? I forget is it which which titles again. Court blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh is a film, you know, about murders that are happening very ghastly, and it it starts out on a high note, very bad. Basically, pharaohs are collecting body parts for you know, of course, a feast. If you've seen if you've seen Blood Diner, you've seen Blood Feast. You kind of know the direction this film is going in the first five minutes. But it does it with such uh, more of a slasher like flair to it. Yes, yes, it does. It feels I, we were talking about this off mic before we got started with this about blood sucking pharaohs. So I'm just going to kind of echo it back here. The film feels like a bit of pieces or like blood and black lace, the way that guys dress. They kind of are making a reference to that with the solid black coat, the solid black mask, and then like the sort of wide brimmed fedora hat. He's using, you know, uh, <laughs> the guy, what he carries, uh, the killer at the start of the film carries a fucking generator, an electrical generator, and it's supposed to be yes. funny because it's a horror comedy. It's almost like it's like a gorier student bodies mixed with like some blood feast. And then it makes references to a lot of different slasher tropes, particularly the gorier ones. And it has mm-hmm. that that, you know, that prototypical killer with the that, you know, black silhouetted, you know, black cloak hat and black mask even has black gloves at certain points. Mm-hmm. Yes. Covered in black. Totally. Black shades. You don't forget the black shades. <laughs> yeah. But I'll, I'll leave it to you, Court. Uh, why did you make us watch this film? And what else do you think about it, sir? I bought this sight unseen a um, couple of years ago based on a letter that somebody wrote in Fangoria um, talking about how he had the novelization of this film that his daughter took to school and the teacher called it garbage and destroyed it, even though it wasn't his to destroy and it didn't really belong to the daughter, didn't even ask, just threw it away and wouldn't let her get it to take it home or put it away. And I was like, wow, that title's awesome. Bloodsucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh. I want to know what that's all about. So years later, I'm at a Best Buy and I see it just kind of sitting on the shelf, like in the DVD rack. And I just went, yes, title good movie, not expensive, picked it up. And it's everything that we just described there at the beginning, the, the way that the, (laughs) the way that the killer just automatically uses a generator. It has that very corny student body style comedy with the over the top gore that Herschel Gordon Lewis kind of does. And you get in the 80 slashers. He's a very efficient killer. Let me tell you why. Because the biggest trope of the film I hear a lot of folks bitching about is, you know, why is there always, always gasoline in, in, in the motorcycle? 
why is there always gasoline in the chainsaw? It just starts, why does it always start at the first pull? Well, this film does it with gusto because it has a generator, which always starts at the first pull, but he uses it to plug in power tools that do not require gasoline. I mean, the great scene in this film is, but it, it, it easily, it's up there with my favorite kills in any film now. Oh, wow. Where he, where, where he, he sucks out the insides of a woman with a shot back. <laughs> yeah, that's is, so is, ridiculous, is, isn't it? Is, is, yes. it pos- is it possible? Probably not, but it's there. Does and it I matter? It's hilarious, right? <laughs> it is, it is like, he kills the dog too, but you know that's that that the dog was licking up blood at the time, and I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, and it's, it's, oh, I also wanted to point out the stuff that happens with the cops too. Did you guys get a Zucker Brothers um, <laughs> kind of naked gun influence in this film? Like they were trying to do the cops like the naked gun movies almost. Oh yeah, a little bit, but yeah, they, they did. They did have one of my favorite. My favorite tropes in, in films like these. There's so many great tropes in this film where they they eat food over the dead body. There's a great scene in Blood Feast in Blood Feast too. If you guys ever seen that great sequel, it's fucking awesome. Where the guy is straight up eating a sandwich and he puts the sandwich on top of the body and then starts eating it again. I, I love I love food around dead bodies for some reason. Call me cynical. Nasty. <laughs> It is just unsanitary and it's fucking hilarious. Just no fucks given with their food. No. And the thing that's great about the way this film, this film visits almost every cliched, like, you know, slasher movie, madman on the loose, bloody guts and gore type film. And it lampoons it when it hits it. And it does it very effectively. That's why I keep coming back to talk about like student bodies, because I think student bodies does that as well. But that's more of a feel good, not so exploitative type of film. This film goes all the way into like dead alive, you know, uh, brain dead Peter Jackson, bad taste realm. And it revels in it and makes you look at gallons and gallons of blood. It's ridiculous and over the top and fun. Oh, I agree. But I'll uh, I'll stick at the mic. Mike, what do you think about the film, sir? So this is the first time watch for me. Um, I really had no idea what to expect other than I was like, interesting fucking title. <laughs> um, and I ended up loving it. It's like that perfect plan. Yeah, the it's comedic, but the gore is there. Um, it, it it's kind of like that perfect blend uh, of movie um, where, you know, maybe what, seven out of ten people, if you put them in a room with you to watch it, they'd be like, what the hell is this? But the but the other three would just have the freaking time of their lives watching this. And I'd be one of those three. Uh, I, I love it. The gore, the gore was great. Like you said, the freaking the vacuum cleaner hose. It's it's it, that scene was so ridiculous, but so fun at the same time. And here I am watching it at work. Like so, I have it like on a in the corner. Cause so I have a dual monitor at my work desk and it's on one of the monitors in the corner. And it's like, I'm every, ever there's scene in this movie, I'm like looking over my shoulder, like who's walking by. Cause I have, I can't take my eyes off the screen, but I got to just to make sure that no, uh, none of the wrong people are walking by, but uh, man, I just had such a good time with this. Um, I don't even think I had ever even heard of it before. So I'm very pleased that I got a chance to watch it. Uh, just another reason why podcasting is great because movies like this come up when in a lot of scenarios, I would have never got a hold of this or even heard of it or seen it. Um, so yeah, I thought it was excellent. Definitely is going to be something I'll be rewatching in the future. <laughs> and showing to other people because I know I'm sure there's lots of people who have not seen this. So it's going to be one of those movies where I, Oh my God, have you ever seen this? Oh, we're watching it tonight. Yeah. This totally could be like a, uh, if, if Alamo draft house were to have found a print of this and put their marketing power behind it, like they did with like a Miami connection, 
this film would blow up like a cult film. Like people would probably go nuts for this because they're it's made for a certain set audience and you either know it's for you or it's not. But I think it actually has a pretty broad appeal, even with its crazy gore. And I actually showed this one year for one of my birthday like movies. I do a double feature thing where I'll cut together trailers and weird clips off of YouTube and just kind of try and make like a uh, old timey theater or drive in experience where you have an intro you know, welcome, do do that kind of thing. And then you watch a movie, then you have an intermission between the two with various clips, and then you have a second movie. And this was one of those double features. And I'll tell you what, uh, it was this and uh, Story of Ricky was the double feature. <laughs> you know? Oh, hell yeah. And, you know, this played first, but uh, even though people were having a blast over, like, Story of Ricky, this this movie killed. It warmed the audience up, and then Story of Ricky put them down for the count. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's a hell of a one-two combo. Well, when, yeah, I, when, when I pick movies, I like to try and, you know, make them total knockouts when you pair them. Yeah, this is like the one where, like, if you get together with friends and everyone, like, picks a movie to bring, this is the one you have in your back pocket, like, oh, I'm going to show these motherfuckers what's up. <laughs> well, that's exactly what we did with this episode. This is, like, just a couple of guys getting together and having a triple feature movie night and hanging out, you know? And this is this would be my entry, basically, so... It's exactly as you described it, man. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, this, this one was a ton of fun. And uh, I don't want to give away all the gags, but there, there's all the, I think a big important thing to talk about in this film is that Tom Savini did the, did, did the effects. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he did them just dark enough. Like, let's take the opening scene from the beginning, from the beginning where he, uh, he, he removes the woman's brain by cutting open her head with a, with a table saw. And you just see something, it's darkly lit, thrown into a plastic bag. Could have been the rose for, from the local grocery store. You would have never known. But the fact that the, the effect was cut, it was cut away. It really didn't matter. But she knew what was going on because, like I said, anybody who's seen Blood Feast or, or Blood Diner, you know, they know they know what's going on. They're, they're going to have a feast and they're they're, they're going to resurrect some kind of god or something. And that seems great. I think he's in he's in like a deep fryer or something. He's ripping his own skin off. Yeah, he actually yeah. accomplished that makeup by creating the skull piece like what what you know the the ripped off face ahead of time and then he just used vaseline and like toilet paper and then just did the toilet paper like to do like a melted flesh skin tone and then just had the actor peel it away but he just put it on the face he had very little money with this and it shows what tom savini can do on a budget which unfortunately probably you know kind of was a downturn for his career that he was known as the guy that could produce really good results without very much money. And I think that probably hurt him monetarily speaking for the longevity, but he also does an excellent job in this film. And even in 1991, he still did have it, you know, like he's pretty much at the height of his game with very little money and really nailing it with this. And the blood looked beautiful. It was like the most realistic looking blood in a film, this low budget that you could possibly expect. And there was gallons of it. Like, they were shooting up the guy that was running away, the original like Pharaoh type killer from Las Vegas, you know, that that is like the backstory, you know, for for the film. You see this guy get filled with lead and it's very, like I said, naked gun, only gory the way they do it. And then this guy ends up like running after the shot up Pharaoh, the, the main character hero cop trips and falls and does like a slip and slide in blood and guts. I mean, that's what you get with this film. And the title promises that, and it delivers on it, you know? 
my favorite scenes in the film, and I forget what's said. Is it, it's just it's just throwaway dialogue because he's just he's this conversation with the NF cops. And let me tell you, the captain in this film is one of the best crazy police captains I've ever seen because he's literally shooting a gun in the station house across the room, and he don't give no shit because he's that he's that stressed out. He's a great stressed out police captain. But the scene I'm referring to is, and I forget what's said, but somebody gets punched in the mouth while they're eating a banana. He's just a big old bloody mess with bananas. And I, I, I think this is one of the grossest things in the film is when regurgitated, regurgitated food comes out of somebody's mouth. Just a mixture of the fact that I hate bananas and with with the passion. It's like my least favorite fruit of all time. And the mix with blood and just chewed up banana. That's more gross to me than anything in the film. Yeah, they, I don't know what it is. They go with that over the top gross you out any ways they can. I mean, the salmon, what was it? The salmon casserole thing that they did that was just leaking and oozy and just disgusting. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, yeah. there's there's a character who has, and this is the brilliant idea that they have that I, I think this is brilliant. They set up a character that is queasy because of this interaction that happened where that guy got shot up and he did the slip and slide with the blood. He is now easily made sick. Like, he's hypersensitive to anything like that. And he's a police guy that has to investigate murders. So you automatically have that little wink at the audience like, yes, you are supposed to get sick. This is supposed to be gross out fun. You know, like the old school Herschel Gordon Lewis style stuff. Because the whole time the cops are trying to make this guy throw up. I mean, it happens from the very first crime scene when they show up. And his fucking co-workers are taking bets on whether or not he's going to puke this time. And they're like degenerate gamblers too. Like his partner is betting a, like for him and keeps constantly losing money. And then he starts betting against him. <laughs> you know, like he's going to throw up. And then he actually makes it happen so he can make a quick buck. I mean, it's just little weird shit like that that makes this fun. This film oh, so fun. One of the most fun things I think is that I forget who did, but the te- I don't even doesn't even matter what their names are. It really doesn't matter. But the one detective's wife talks with the voice box, and she's exercising and smoking at the same time. Yeah, she's such a chain smoker. She has lost her voice box already, and she's obsessed with her husband being around other women. Like she constantly asks if every other woman is pretty to her husband because she has all these issues with trying to you know make sure she feels like he's going to leave her. And she knows it's the smoking, but she's so addicted she can't stop, and it's ruined her. And they even, and her, they even yeah. do like a cat's eye parody with her, which is oh, fucking that's, amazing. That's the thing that made me laugh the most, the more, fu- more fucked up she got by the, the, the smoker's therapy. And her, her voice with her little voice operator thing, sometimes would just be unsettling, disgusting. Like, listening to her talk. Sometimes it would just be like the little normal uh, voice box machine thing, but then sometimes it would go into like this mode where it just, uh, it was like skin crawling listening. Well, what they yeah. did is they had it, 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 it operated on two like double A batteries and she had to use it constantly to be able to talk. And she's one of those like henpecking, just constantly on everybody about everything. So insecure about herself that she's constantly on people and then the batteries would die they replace them several times in the movie and that's when it, it the batteries die and it just starts going like so evil and you know like it, it gets garbled and it has less and less uh you know the high-pitched thing that makes it sound more like a voice it starts getting lower and lower and then it starts getting almost gurgly and sounds really disgusting on top of you know the chain smoking and 
They make her skin yellow, and she's really unsettling to look at. I mean, it was yeah, almost too hyper realistic. It's a very serious anti-smoking, you know, kind of comedic statement. But they really go, they really make you see like what you know smoking is. There, somebody has an issue with smoking in this film. You know what yeah, I mean? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a brazen attack cloaked in satire. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, there's lots of gags in this film. It's hard to ruin everything in this film, but the film is like nonstop gag, nonstop gag, nonstop gag. So and we barely, it, we seriously, Gary, we've barely even scratched the surface. There's so much mm-hmm. shit in this film that we haven't even talked about. So if any of the stuff that we've said even intrigues you, fucking check it out. It's on YouTube. Go go out and look it up and check it out if you like it. Uh, Eighty eight films over in Britain actually made a terrific blu-ray of it which i have and i do not regret buying that at all <laughs> very very nice i think it's all region too so you know double check but uh, i'm pretty sure it is i'll go with go with ratings now what do you rate the film that you chose uh court oh i'm gonna go this is a seven out of ten it's definitely not a perfect film it's got its flaws it drags here and there in a couple of moments but for the most part it keeps you entertained and it goes by really quick you know, and it's not a very long film. It's solid seven. And I obviously I recommended it because I rolled the dice hoping that you guys would like it. And I'm super pleased that you did. Great. Mike, what do you think, sir? I think seven again, not to sound like a broken record once again, but I think that's right about uh, where this film comes in. That It's not perfect. It's not for everyone. But I think the people that uh, it is for are going to get a really big kick out of it. And if you're like me watching it for the first time, holy shit, buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> oh, this is a wild ride of a film. And I, I, I like revenge. I'm, I'm right there with the sevens. The sevens across the board so far tonight, guys. And it's, they're all well-deserved. This film needs to be viewed if you love the type of schlock that we love. And you want to yeah. watch something, you watch something that's funny and it'll gross you out at the same time. You, you'll uh, just just to, just to add one thing really quick because of the era of this film. I love discovering stuff from kind of the era of my childhood that I had never seen before because this was 1991. Is this film? I think. Yeah, it was 91. Yeah, that puts me like right in my. Well, I think right before I was a teenager, but, you know, about to be early teens. And there was there was so much in that era that I did watch. But, you know, as the years go by and you've, we already kind of had our diatribe on the Internet and what access it gives you. But I all the time I come across so much stuff from like the early mid 90s that was out there that I just didn't have access to because most of your um, most of your access was video stores. And, you know, I was little I was a little bit young at the time to be going to convention. Uh, but, uh, you know, now it's, there's so much stuff that I had not seen from that kind of era of like my early mid teens that it's to me it's part of the, one of the most fun things to do is go back and and, and this movie really falls kind of in that category for me we're like damn like you i almost wish i would have seen it back then because if i would have had my hands on this movie at that age holy shit it would have been on but um, i'm still <laughs> super pleased <laughs> that uh i have now been exposed to this <laughs> well i guess instead of saying i'm sorry i should say you're welcome then guys that's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah, definitely. Yeah, most definitely, sir. But um, finally, we'll get into the film that I chose. That I'm really, really curious. But you, I know Mike was real excited about it in a kind of comment on Facebook. But uh, no way to treat a lady from 1968. Right after this. All right.
I want to tell you that Frau Himmel, she's quite dead. <laughs> I guess the strangler wanted to thank me. Oh, Morris, I have been a bad boy again. Nail him. Yes, sir. Some questions, if you don't mind. What did he look like? Like a big nose or something? Kind of a sweet nose you've got there, you know that? We can get a suspect behind bars before the day is out. Yeah, but you don't. Remember, I'm smarter than you are. Can't you notice my voice is completely different? I thought you and I were finished. You haven't even started. Uh, this is my pick for the show, and it's a film that I've never seen before until now, but it was recommended to me by, if you guys listen to Gilbert, Gilbert Godfrey's amazing Colossal Podcast, uh, him and Gilbert and Frank will let out some gems of films that you should be watching, and I was not disappointed in this one. It's No Way to Treat a Lady from 1968. Uh, it stars the great Rod Steiger, the great George Siegel, very sexy Lee Remick. Yeah, Damien's mom is sexy in this film, people. Oh, a young Lee Remick in this film is unbelievably cute. Like, you can't take your eyes off of her the whole time. It's, it's that 60s cute, man. I can't help these things. It, it, it does it for me, you know. Uh, Mur, Mur, Murray, uh, Murray Hamilton, who you might know as the mayor from Jaws, plays another uh, person who gets people killed in this movie as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, plot synopsis is basically this. Rod Steiger plays like a master of disguise who likes to go into women's apartments but they, they they let him in they let him in un unknowingly and and strangle them to death and George 
Yes, to death. And George Siegel is the detective that is after him. And then he becomes obsessed with media and how much exposure he gets. He's kind of like, this is kind of like the hard way, but it doesn't suck. He's kind of like that kind of character where he's obsessed with the media and, you know, getting his name in the paper and making sure everything's right and making sure this one detective is pursuing him. Um, I, I, I had a really great time with this film. I'm curious what you guys think about it. I'll, I'll start with you, Mike. What did you think about the film, sir? Right, right off the bat, when I looked up the movie, I was like, this reminds me of something Doug Tiller would pick or Theme Warriors, like like an older movie um, with some um, classic actors. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought uh, Rod Steger was excellent. Um, you know, it was a it was a cat and mouse game between him and the detective. But to me, this is Rod Steger's movie. Steger, Steger. It was his. I mean, every scene that he was in, every time he showed up at a door in a different disguise, it was I was simultaneously like grinning and like fretting for like what what was about to happen. I lost it when he showed up to the the lady's house with the wigs. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that entire scene, I was just cracking up. And it's funny because of the, the depictions from, you know, the way they're going to depict certain people back in the 60s is a little bit different, <laughs> you know. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed this movie. It, it's an hour and 48 minutes, but it didn't feel like it. You know, I thought maybe and as it was transitioning from the second to third act, yeah, there was, some, you know, there it maybe got a little long in the tooth at one point. But uh, but really, you know, I, I enjoyed it throughout its running time. Um, uh, what, what's the name? The detective, the actor's name. Uh, George George. George Seeker, yeah. The first thing I ever saw him in, because I recognized him immediately as just a much younger version, uh, obviously, because this was in 68. The first thing I saw him was when I was a little kid. Uh, look who's talking. He was like the baby daddy. Yeah. Uh, what a yeah. scumbag he was in that movie, too. He plays that well. Yeah. And part of the, one of the reasons I love going back and watching movies from kind of this era, late 60s, early 70s, because there's so many actors and actresses in movies that I saw as a kid in the 80s where um, these guys are playing maybe bit parts, small parts, but they were actually, you know, good quality actors in good quality parts from this era of No Way to Tree Lady. And, and as a kid, you know, I would, you know, it's not a movie I would ever seek out as a little kid. So it, it, it's not even reasonable to think that. But now as an adult, seeing like going back, and looking at the career of these actors from back then when they were kind of in that prime age era, it's it's very rewarding to me because they were in a lot of good movies. There's just a lot of good movies in this era and the performances are just really, really great. Um, I had a great time with this movie. Another one where um, if it wasn't for podcasting, who knows if I ever would have got around to seeing this. So great pick, Gary. Uh, I thank you for choosing this because I, I, I'm stuck. Beautiful. Court. Um, I could just basically take a snapshot of everything that Mike said and then replay it because I agree with just about everything he said. I think he nailed it pretty well. Um, I'm just going to throw in a few extra pieces. Um, Rod Steiger, I totally agree. He owns this movie. He carries this film. And from the moment he pops up on screen and starts playing these over-the-top stereotyped character people, but in this world it's real, you just kind of, he just gets in not only chews up the scenery, but devours it to where there is no scenery left and then spits it back out and says, now watch this movie. Like he's just, he owns it. He's like every, every part of the frame, he's all over the place. All these characters are super flamboyant. 
And then who this guy is that Rod Steiger plays, this Christopher Gill character, you know, who he is when he's not pretending to be these other people to get access to, you know, lonely old ladies and single women to do his killings. Um, He is this over-the-top dramatic guy, and the reveal as to how he's able to do what he does and this whole master of disguise thing that he pulls off, you know, when they reveal it, it's very satisfying. You totally believe it. Um, Again, like I said earlier about Lee Remick, um, as soon as she pops up on screen, there are certain actors and actresses that you get this experience where when they're on screen, when you see them on film, they almost come out of the screen for you and just, just, like just basically you see them and it's like you're looking at the person themselves and not the character you're not really seeing who they're supposed to be playing because they just kind of come alive and you get like glimpses of who they are on screen and lee remick does that like as soon as you see her she just kind of pops right out at you and you're just mesmerized by her because she is unbelievably cute in this film and this is one of the best roles she has ever played the one thing I want to say about Lee Remick for sure, that scene where she meets George Seagal's mother and just goes right in with Mrs. Brummel and mirrors her personality perfectly to the That's point great. Yeah, to the point where her character goes aside and talks to her son because it's the first time she's, you know, meeting his mother and she just mirrors who this character is so perfectly. She just nails her who she is that as soon as the mother pulls the son aside, he's like, that one's a keeper. That one's perfect. You know, you gotta, you gotta keep this girl. And he's, (laughs) you know, it's like, she's immediately in love with this person. She thinks it's great. And just, they go for it. And I absolutely loved the way, I mean, she dresses the the son down completely belittling him and like got him pretending like she has him under his thumb or under her thumb, you know? So the mother's like, oh, she's perfect for you. <laughs> I thought, I thought that was great. Uh, George Seagal, uh, this is probably one of the better roles I've ever seen from him. And uh, it makes me want to seek out him, his work when he was younger and kind of see what he's capable of. I think he did an amazing job in this film. Um, now, I do have a quick question for you. Have either of you guys seen the Boston Strangler Strangler movie that uh, Tony Curtis did around this time in the 60s where he played mm-hmm. Albert or uh, what's the guy's name in the Boston Strangler? I can't remember now off the top of my head. Uh, I Richard Speck? Is that the one? Or? No, no. Richard Speck was. Uh, the, yeah. Richard Speck was a different one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to kill me that I don't, I want to say Albert DeSalvo, but I don't think that's correct. Um, maybe it is. I don't know. But, um, anyway, Tony Curtis, uh, plays the Boston Strangler in this and the film has very, a very similar feel because it was done in the sixties. And this film feels like a retelling of the Boston Strangler, like that film only they went for, and I don't want to make this sound like a bad thing, but I think they were trying to be hip in that time in the 60s they were trying to be like hey kids we get it come check out this film so it has like this kind of like upbeat sort of hip fun vibe you know with it you know with it going for the entertainment it doesn't take that darker edge and even though it does have some dark things with the murders they become backseat and coincidental with the whole hunting the killer and the killer taunting the police game and it becomes sort of fun because steiger's characters just go so far out and are so far over the top that you know, they, they stop showing you the murders and focus in on that part of it. And he had to have a blast doing that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll stop now. I'm, I'm kind of gushing. I really, really enjoy this film. Uh, there's so much stuff to kind of sink your teeth into. 
And, you know, I, I wouldn't mind showing this to anybody that wants to watch like a classic film. Like I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I'm like, you know, you want to see a, you know, a fun movie from the sixties. That's this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. I think one of the biggest things I, I, I dug about this film is that 60s color palette, you know, as far as thrillers go, especially the, the, the end part where you get the, they're having the, the, the tussle in the theater where they're, he's finally going to get his man. And you see like so much of the reds and the blacks and it's all dark. But it's all shot so beautifully. Even even the scene in the airport where they're or in the Pan Am building, I mean, where he's coming up, you get the reds and the blacks, and that, that's you, you mentioned Blood and Black Lace, which I think isn't a very good movie, but the color palette in that movie is insane, and that's what keeps me in it, I guess. You know, and that 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 is no exception to this this the '60s style of this film. Uh, Rod Steiger, like he. You guys all mentioned it is the star of this film. I mean, he plays that that person who's a, a, a pretty much a. I, I can't tell if he's nuts or what's going on. If he just likes doing this and likes to fuck with this detective, but he <clears throat> comes up with these personas, to, and he really sells it to get his foot in these these old ladies' doors. And the the, the cat lady made me laugh. Like you mentioned, the wig, the wig, the, the wig salesman thing. He's gonna give her again. Nothing stops a Midwest housewife, and that's something for free but this is new york city and that's important to mention too that at the time that they were filming all these it's been in the late 60s and then in the 70s yeah these great new york films where they really highlighted the city and this is one of those films too you got scenes at lincoln center like i mentioned the pan am building which is a pretty big deal back in 1968 and you get the, the the city streets you know, it's all it's all filmed on location. It's nothing like they didn't build a set, and so that that's important to remember the, the nostalgia of that. Like, let's not build Canada to make it look like New York City. Let's have let's have it shot in New York City and not care about taxes and bullshit and whatever. And I think that 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 helps a film like this and and directors like this. And um, one of the biggest things, the biggest draws for me about this film was the book, the core of the the the. the the source material was written by the same guy that wrote the Marath wrote Marathon Man, which is, I've never read the book, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Because who doesn't love Laurence Olivier, who could play a Nazi, a Nazi hunter, and then a cantor in The Jazz Singer, you know, <laughs> where he has a blade coming out that can slice people's throats. And it, that, 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 that always turned me on as far as Lawrence Olivier goes and Marathon Man, just the fact that it's an awesome movie and that it has a damn sexy Roy Scheider having a, a, a brawl with an assassin in a hotel room, which is an epic scene, but not this movie. That's a Marathon Man. This movie is great. I, I really, I, I've, I've listened to Gilbert and Frank's shows, their regular show and their colossal obsessions, and they, I've, I, I, I write this stuff down because these are guys who love old film and these are old films I haven't seen before. And I think it's important to explore that not just like watch the lost boys again but to explore other stuff that you haven't seen and i'm glad we we got to share this together you know what i'm saying yeah you know? yeah totally yeah. man it's uh yeah i feel like because uh, i watched this this was the second movie i watched last night which was super late i got done recording i think about 10 o'clock um with matt for our show for cinema psyops and i went immediately into watching movies and i started with uh good neighbor and uh you know went through that film and I got done with it about, you know, like, let's say midnight. And then when I started this film, I really kind of made sure that I focused in on the film as much as I could, no matter how tired I got. And then at some point I didn't have to do that anymore. Probably about 10 to 12 minutes into the film, it had me 
totally, totally just engrossed and wanting to know what happened next and wanting to see what crazy thing Rod Steiger was going to do and checking out the fashion and just, you know, looking at how things were back then and the way that places were decorated and just looking at the time capsule that is this film now. And it just kept rewarding me. And uh, even after I was done watching it, I think I was up for another hour just thinking about it. I really enjoyed it. Oh, man. Anything else you want to say about it, Mike? Uh, if you're listening to this show and you haven't seen it, go seek it out. Um, it's just, it was an excellent movie. I, it's another one that I didn't know what to expect going into it, uh, but it kind of hooked me in from the opening scene on. And even though it's what, almost, I would say nearly two hours, it, it, it flies by pretty. Oh, maybe myself. It's damn enjoyable. It, it, it lets you know what kind of film it is right from the jump. And Steiger is, is, is God in this movie. And he, he, he runs, he, he takes that ball and he runs with it. He yeah. just, he just proves how versatile of an actor he could be. Cause he, he been doing it for a long, long, well, he's, he's passed now, but he did it for a long, long time. And he worked, until he died and films like this shows you you know and i've heard actors say you know when steiger hit the set you know people were in awe because they knew what a versatile actor and how long he's been in the business and what respect they have for him in the business and he proves it in stuff like this and in the palm broker and puppy stuff you've never ever seen that you should check out so if you ever need like a a person to, to look for you know look for rod steiger films i think it'd be really entertaining for you um yeah ratings though what do you give it mike you know i am going to say that while the other two movies were uh pretty fun i think this one is going to come in even a little bit higher just it's solid quality um from beginning to end and just Foreman's stagger was just so on point uh i'm gonna go ahead and set it eight out of ten um what do you say court um if i were doing the netflix style rating of judging just saying didn't like it like it you know really liked it loved it I would say that I would go with really liked it strong into loved it. So if you do the like, you know, out of 10, that would have to put it at a nine. Right. I mean, that, yeah. that, I mean, that's exactly what this was. It was, it was just shy of being one of those films that you just say you absolutely love, but it, it's not, it doesn't quite get there, but I mean, it is definitely of all the, the films that we've watched tonight, it was certainly the most revealing of, you know, of 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 them all it was just a real breath of fresh air and the title no way to treat a lady they even give you what it is the first 10 minutes you you realize what the what why the title is there and that shapes your opinion of the film as soon as that that hits then you understand what world you're in and just from there it's it's uh, so much fun it's it's the best out of the ones that we've watched tonight and one of the better classic films i've watched in a while I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, me, myself, I was going to give it an eight, but I'm going to give it a nine because the, I love I love Jewish mothers and movies. And this one was just guilting and shitting on George Siegel the whole the whole way through. And uh, <laughs> it gets a nine. It's a great film. I think you guys should all check it out. <laughs> but uh, with that, we'll be uh, coming back with a special new thing added to the show that I think uh, is going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to close out the episode as well. So see you guys in a minute. 
Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept Little history doll yeah, popping absolutely. up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. An Evil Dead TV show? No way. Negan is coming to The Walking Dead. That's awesome. Don't you guys think a werewolf series is long overdue? Oh, hello there. Are you looking for coverage of horror on the small screen that you can't find on any other podcast? Then welcome to Evil Episodes Podcast, where we take an in-depth look at horror around the dial, covering everything from today's hits like The Walking Dead, American Horror Story, and The Strain. As well as looking back into the TV horror vault to discuss anthologies like Tales from the Crypt, Monsters, Masters of Horror. Yeah, but do any of those shows have werewolves in them? What movies will become a TV series next? Just how many more seasons will every CW show get? Why won't they put some damn werewolves on the TV? Tune in to Evil Episodes Podcast for all your horror on television needs and more. I need werewolves. Hey, did I mention how Lovecraftian all this actually is? Once there was a show called the Not-So-Evil Episodes Sidecast. It was a long name, Batman. No one could ever remember. They released 25 episodes of brilliant film criticism. And like that, he's gone. Now, six months later, we're back. I didn't know we were gone. We've got a brand new name, new movies to review, but the same old attitude. Foul language and obscure references? Count me in. Each episode, we pick a topic, watch four movies related to that topic, then bicker amongst ourselves to decide which film is the best. We're the theme warriors! Join Iris, Jeffrey X. Martin, Doug Tilly, and myself for Theme Warriors. Four people, four movies, one dynamite show. Catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Horophilia Network of Podcasts, as well as the Legion Podcast Network. That's the Theme Warriors! Don't want to sleep no more! Who are you, people? Hey, guys. Beavers, if you will. Uh, in lieu of the trailers I normally put here, I'll just tell you, because I couldn't find trailers for two of these movies, so I figured, fuck it. But the next guest of the show will be the true son of Newfoundland, true son of Canada, if you will, Mr. Doug Tilly of the No Budget Nightmares and the Eric Roberts' The Fucking Man podcast. And we're doing three uh, Mandroid-type films, Man Beats Meets Android, Blah, 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 blah. We're doing the, I guess, somewhat kid-centric film, Star Kid. 
starting that that lovable lovable, lovable schmuck from Jurassic Park. Uh, we're doing the Giver, that the classic, uh, you know, man beats alien technology who kicks mutants' asses, and it's a lot of fun. Featuring Mark Hamill and some Asian folk. And uh, the last show we're doing is a '86. 1986 film from Canada called The Vindicator, which is basically a big old bootleg Terminator film in a way, and it should be a lot of fun. I hear Pam Greer's in it, and it should be a blast. So, next time, Duck Tilly, my Untitled Mandroid episode, and we're going to do that on your very next episode of the Cinevee Podcast. Alright guys, welcome back to the show and a very special part, new part of the show that I think you, you may be entertained by, and uh, <laughs> I know I am. Uh, I've always had the trouble determining uh, the roles, the, the, the faces of two actors who are no longer with us. One being Richard Lynch and one being Klaus Kinski, who both look alike. And don't, don't get me wrong, but if I, if I see the film come on cable, a random B-movie, whatever, I couldn't tell you the difference unless I really looked into the credits. So I had an, uh, an idea for this game show, and guess what? John Cross wrote us a theme song for it. Take it, John, right now. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me, but whenever I see them on my TV, I can't tell the difference between Richard Lynch and Klaus Kinski. No, 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 no. To me, they're just so insane. And whenever I see them, I always flinch because I can't tell the difference between Klaus Kinski and Richard Lynch. And then, all right, court declined, and out of mad respect for you, Mike, of your your reviewing skills, I guess you you could there can be only one, and you are the 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 cloud of this episode. (laughs) So I task it to you. You get. Best two out of three, you can tell me which of it is. If it is it Kinski or is it a Lynch film? You get to pick a really shitty film for myself and X and possibly Jamie to review for Legion Quickie. It, it could be anything. It could be Steel Magnolias, for Christ's sake. You know, but um, I'll stick it to you right now. But with, with the, the very first plot synopses, and it's really hard to cheat this way, which is kind of the way I structured it. But you ready, man? Oh, I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be. <laughs> okay, let's get going on then a reporter and her cameraman connect the, connect the surviving jonestown leader and a tv exec's missing son to a drug war where jungle installations are being massacred by an army of natives and skilled white and in a skilled white assassin <laughs> is that a lynch film or is it a kinski film Shit. uh man I'm looking at pictures of just both their faces uh, <laughs> and now i understand your difficulties <laughs> um I am going to say Kinski. Uh, you would be wrong. That is a Richard uh-huh. Lynch film, and it's directed by Ruggiero Diodato of Cannibal uh, Holocaust fame. It is called Cut and Run. It also features Willie Ames from Charles in Charge and Eight is Enough, of all things, you know. But that's what I should have done, Cut and Run. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the one where you, you, have two more, you have two more shots to get it right, okay? All right. And here's your, here's your second, your second yeah. choice here, okay? A beautiful... 
but evil woman who plans world domination by having her sexy all-female army eliminate male leaders and replace them with her female agents. Is this a Kinski or is it a Lynch film? Yeah, I know there's like Kinski film that sounds similar to this. I don't know if it's a um, Well, because the last film wasn't going to have to go with Kinski. Uh, you would be correct on that. Uh, the film is called The Million Eyes of Sumeru. It's from 1967. And it, it uh... <laughs> It actually features Frankie Avalon in one of the roles. So should I be like should I be like cheering him on right now, like uh, playing cheerleader or something? Oh, I don't know. He he has one more to go, so he isn't quite past the bar yet. And you know, we'll we'll see. You got this, Mike. You can do this, man. Oh. There's no real prize at stake except our humiliation, and that, that, that's fine with me. Well, you're not making it easy, man. Klaus Kinski and Richard Lynch. Not only is that like some more of the most rare movies that people are least likely to see. They are easily confusable, and they did play the same kind of actor. This this game is brilliant and uh, sadistic and all at once. <laughs> filmography is like extensive. Like if you just look at the list, all right, your last chance. This is this is for the rubber match right here. Okay, a Chinese a Chinese immigrant recently arrived in America fights to free Mexican slaves from their cruel master. Whose scowl is it? Whose scowl is it anyway, sir? Kinski or Lynch? Oh man. I want to say that's a Richard Lynch. And you would be incorrect. Uh, oh, God damn it. This, this film is called Shanghai Joe from 1973, and he plays a character called Scalper Jack. Oh, I love that character name. <laughs> yeah. Now I want to see the movie just so I can see Scalper Jack. <laughs> But Mike, you came on the show. You, you played the game. You don't win anything, but but you, you get pride in being my first contestant on who scowls it anyway. I've, I've made it that much easier for everyone else. They have they have nothing to live up. To. <laughs> but we'll probably cover one of these films in the lead. That, that that'd be like the consolation prize, you know. Yeah. If you want to come on with us and cover one of these delightful Richard Richard Lynch slash Klaus Kinski films. Um, out of the three, though, just out of curiosity. We can get it. Which one would you like to cover with us? Uh, I like the I like the synopsis. That second one what was it the million something. Let me go back there real fast. The million eyes of Sumeru. Yeah, because uh, now I just pulled out of a beautiful but evil woman who plans world domination by having her sexy all female army <laughs> eliminate male leaders and replace them with female agents. That that sounds pretty interesting. So if I if I had to choose one of the three, I would pick. Although I mean, they all pretty have pretty good synopsis. <laughs> Okay. Oh, you picked that one then? And then on the, on the picture of the movie, she, she rules a palace. <laughs> nice. Sexy time. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's the end of this segment, basically. And I hope you had a lot of fun doing it. But um, yeah, I'll basically leave it to you now to push your stuff. I'll start with you, Mike. What are you coming up and what are you, what are you doing? <clears throat> All right. So the main show would be episodes. That's the one I've been doing the longest. It's TV horror, although we do talk about other movies. We get out to the theater. We watch stuff all the time, but uh, horror TV, if if any of your listeners watch horror TV, they'll know that we're really starting to hit the season now where everything's coming back, everything's debuting, a whole bunch of stuff to cover. We also cover old stuff like we're in the middle of a Tales from the Dark Side synopsis, so all that good stuff. And then I do a monthly podcast with Doug Tilly, Jeffrey X. Martin, and Iris uh, called Theme Warriors, where we pick a theme for the show, and then the four of us pick a movie and uh, discuss it. And uh, I got to say, it's a really fun show. Um, 
It used to be called the Not So Evil Episode Sidecast because I didn't have a name at the time and we went with that. And I never intended that to be the actual title, but it just lasted so long. And then when we took a hiatus, I was like, all right, when we return, we'll get a better title. So I throughout the years liked it. So uh, it's all available on Horophilia and Legion, Stitcher, iTunes, all that kind of stuff. So if it sounds interesting to you, check it out. Great. Uh, Court? Uh, yeah, I have the same landing page for both Geek Chat Army and Cinema PsyOps because we're going to be merging those two shows on the same feed. That's cinemapsyops.podbean.com. Uh, you can find how to get there to like iTunes or use the RSS feed for whatever podcatcher you might want to use. Uh, we're also in iTunes, as I mentioned before, we're in Stitcher. We're also in the Google play podcast apps and, uh, you can find us there as well. Although I'm not sure exactly how that works. I still haven't done it myself. I just know I got the email that confirms we're there. Uh, Currently, what we've got going on for Cinema PsyOps, uh, because like I said, we're merging the feeds, we're kind of taking a break from Geek Chat Army, and when that comes back, it'll be a just basically when we can get it scheduled to have guys ready to go and record and just geek out on stuff. And for Cinema PsyOps, we just wrapped up a recording with just Matt and I where we go back and find old horror films that Matt may not have seen or basically it's one of those things where it's called remedial horror uh 101 which is matt goes back and gets the gaps of genre knowledge filled and we're starting to open that up and ask people like what horror movies should he have seen already or what do you think a horror fan should have seen and we're going to start running them through those ringers we also do the bring your own cinematic trauma where you bring a film that you have seen at basically either far too young of an age or at whatever point it had a serious effect on you and we talk about it, whether it's disturbing or it's left a mark on you in some way, shape or form. And then you kind of, you know, talk about that experience. And it, it, it basically helps sum up what makes a movie freak a movie freak whenever you come on and discuss it. And we've had a blast doing that series as well. The next one for that, we're having Misty from Black Anna's Horror Podcast. And we will be talking about the unnameable. I'm not sure when this will go out, but as of the date that we are recording this, it's going to be released this coming Sunday as soon as I can get it edited, which is going to be the 25th of September. Then after that, we're doing Maniac with Remedial Horror with just Matt and I, and Matt's going to be doing the review and talking about a first-time watch of Maniac, and that was an emotional roller coaster record. Uh, that film still has a good effect on you. Um, yeah, me, myself this show which is uh trying to bang out a lot more content which is uh great that we're doing this uh who scholars it anyway because i could release a quickie here and there and just us talking about klaus kinski and richard lynch or whatever stupid movie that the winner picks for us to watch you know which i'm looking forward to somebody winning this the winning this this game show so just to see that what's on their mind but what they what they deem is a really shitty movie for us to watch <laughs> but um yeah that and uh at gw on twitter come join the cinema b facebook group you guys all have groups as well come join their groups as well and um they'll all welcome you with open arms unless you're a dick then you got to get out you know because but we don't like we don't like non-harmonious people in our groups you know if you're gonna be a troll or a jerk just you know go somewhere else you know? yeah yeah we don't respectful need- of each other don't, don't need that in this world. If me and Bialik taught you anything, we don't need that in this world. 
Um, but yeah, come rate and review us on iTunes. Anything would be appreciated. Um, all that good stuff. Hopefully, my co-host will be back. Not this was a bad time. I think this was a great idea. This is a little hodgepodge of an episode, and um, I'm glad you guys got with me on such short notice to do this. That's. Yeah, timing was like almost perfect i was like friday's wide open for me so that's what it's all about you know brotherhood and sisterhood and alt- alternate hood whatever whatever you got going on in your business you know community, but uh community <laughs> in the hood all I'll, I'll, ter- I'll turn a hood there you go whatever you got going underneath your hood we, we love you okay and uh with that this has been since beef podcast where if you've got beef we've got the grinder see you guys next time You look like an angel, walk like an angel, talk like an angel, but I got wise. You're the devil in disguise, oh yes you are, devil in disguise. Like an angel, walk like an angel, talk like an angel, but I got wise. You're the devil in disguise. Oh, yes, you are the devil in disguise. I thought that I was in heaven, but I was sure surprised. Oh, yes, you are. Yeah.